Good morning. Jim Ellis will be teaching this morning from the 23rd Psalm. So let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord Jesus, you have used this psalm through many generations as an encouragement for us, your people. Help us to see, Lord Jesus, that you are all that we need, and when we have you, we lack nothing. In Jesus' name. Good morning. Now, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't recognize this psalm, at least the opening words, the Lord is my shepherd. Surely no passage in the Bible is loved more than the 23rd Psalm. It has dried more tears, comforted more hearts, healed more hurts, been turned to more, quoted more, and memorized more than any other section of God's Word. And I'm sure there are many who can testify to the power of these words to encourage and bless and comfort. We often hear this psalm at funerals and at the bedside of those nearing death. This is certainly appropriate and needed for those dying and those grieving. But this psalm is also needed for all of us in our daily lives, especially in these troubling times. This morning, I want to affirm the comfort that we find in Psalm 23, affirm that this is a good place to turn. However, I want us to take a fresh look at it. So I'll be taking a little different approach. With all six verses set before us in view, I want to try and demonstrate its relevance for all of us today. Now, right up front, I want to remind us that in the New Testament, Jesus identifies himself as the Good Shepherd. So if you would, let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter 10, for just a moment and look at a few familiar verses there. I know you are familiar with these, but I just want to bring them to mind. John, chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Then in verse 14, he says again, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own, they know me. Dropping down a little further to verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Lastly, I'd like to just take a quick look at the benediction from the book of Hebrews, 
chapter 13, verse 20. You don't have to turn there, but in that verse, we are explicitly told that the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, if you remember, Jesus identified himself with Yahweh of the Old Testament in John 8, 58, when he told the Jews before Abraham was, I am. So here he identifies himself with Yahweh in this psalm. The good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep. The first word in this psalm is Yahweh. In our English text, it usually has the word Lord and small caps, but all the letters are caps. That shows you that that's what the translators have used for the tetragrammaton, the four letters of God's name, I am Yahweh. So with this in mind, let's look at the psalm. For some of us, this psalm has perhaps become too familiar. The familiarity with Psalm 23 has softened its power. We've removed its teeth, so to speak, its strength and its authority. This psalm meets us not just as death draws near, but in the harsh realities of everyday life. And it calls us to recognize God's presence, not only in the crises that come our way, but also through life's daily trials. Psalm 23 opens with the former shepherd, David, identifying himself with the sheep and the Lord, Yahweh, as his shepherd. Now, David isn't the only one to think of God as a shepherd. We find it all over the place in the Bible. For example, and you don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, it says of the Lord, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Not only Isaiah, but many of the prophets talk about the whole nation of Israel as a flock of sheep, and not always in complimentary terms. Sheep are not the smartest animals, and they're prone to wander. But here David is associating himself, and by extension us, with sheep, a rather vulnerable population. Now the sheep pictured here are sheep in the ancient Middle East, vulnerable sheep. These are not sheep in a petting zoo whose biggest concern is to avoid getting poked in the eye by a three-year-old. <laughs> These are sheep that are in, not enclosed in a pen or protected from outside threats and fed every day. These are sheep who must wander in the wilderness like we sometimes feel ourselves wandering through this life. They wander from barren land to barren land in search of scarce grass and water, always on the move, looking for their next meal. Often water and grass were found in the valleys and near canyons, 
away from the heat of the sun. But these shadowed valleys were risky places. It made the sheep extremely vulnerable, vulnerable to attack, because their enemies came there also. Enemies would wait in the shadows provided by the valleys and the rocks, predatory animals ready for their next lamb burger. The sheep are vulnerable. They are constantly searching for water and food, and they are constantly living under the threat of ending up on another animal's dinner table. But this psalm meets us right where we are. It doesn't soften our position or tell us things are better than they really are. It speaks of life on life's terms. And right now, we are a vulnerable people. We are susceptible to physical, emotional, and spiritual threats all around. We are wearied by our current reality. We're living in a difficult reality. This is a portrait of life right now. And we are trudging through the swamps of life, or perhaps the COVID slog. Exhausted and with heavy steps, we keep trying to put one foot in front of the other. But just picking up our feet is getting hard. Life can be very stressful. Stress at home is high. Stress at work is high. Personal relations can become stressful. People's patience is low. We often struggle to press on through life right now. Our faith and our sanity often waver. Feeling like we cannot press on or trudge much longer. But this is where Psalm 23 meets us. It doesn't pretend that life is okay and it isn't a platitude that has lost all meaning. Psalm 23 recognizes our plight and our place in this life and it speaks fiercely that the Lord is with us. In verse 4 it reads, I will fear no evil for you are with me. This is the idea that God is with us and it's the constant refrain through scripture. God is with us. You are with me. In Exodus 33:14, when Moses trembles at the thought of leading the Israelites to the promised land, God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In Isaiah 41:10, when Israel was in exile in Babylon, God said, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. You are with me, the psalmist says. We are promised the Lord's presence as we walk through the shadowy valleys of this life, full of danger, uncertainty, and anxiety. Now the heart of this psalm, I believe, are the words, for you are with me. That's what I've titled this message. Now here's a little insight I came across in preparing this message, and I confirmed it with uh, Professor Don Glenn. In Hebrew, there are exactly 26 words before the phrase, you are with me. And there are also exactly 26 words after the phrase, you are with me. So it is not only what I call the heart of the psalm, but it is the literal center 
Just as Paul pointed out earlier in Psalm 92, there was the center of the psalm was, was the point. What's more, in the verses leading up to that phrase, David speaks of God in the third person. He does this and he does that. But when we get to this numerical center, he transitions into speaking to God directly in the second person. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. You prepare a table before me. You are with me. What a blessing. What a blessing. Now my aim in the remaining time is to point out what characterizes our shepherd's presence. His presence provides us with four significant benefits. His power, his provision, his protection, and his pursuit. Now, I'm using pursuit for two reasons. One, because it helps keep the alliteration there. But also, it's a thought I'm going to address when we get there and show how it's relevant. Now, the word shepherd was used differently in the ancient world. It wasn't a cozy word as we might think of today, a soft-spoken person caring for their flock, keeping to themselves. In fact, a common title applied to Near Eastern kings is shepherd of the people which shows how they were seen as essential for the well-being of their subjects. Shepherds were, in fact, powerful sovereigns in control of the land. In fact, rulers demonstrated the legitimacy of their rule by their ability to shepherd their people. People looked to them to lead. The people of the land wanted to be led by a great shepherd, someone with power and authority. Well, for David and us, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my great king. The Lord is the one who has all power and authority. The Lord is the one who leads me. It sets the tone for the rest of the psalm. And it challenges us to consider who's leading us. In our self-made individualistic culture where the words I and me rule, are we allowing ourselves to be led? Or are we trying to find all power in ourselves? The psalmist is saying, yes, the Lord is my shepherd king. May his authority be over me. I want you to lead me, Lord. The Lord is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He holds it in his hands. When he is present with us, it is with the same power that controls the wind and the waves. When he is with us, it is with the same power that brings sunrise and sundown every day. His power is present with us. That's number one. The second benefit we notice about the, our shepherd's presence is his provision. We saw in verse one that with the Lord as our shepherd, we are provided all that we need. The psalmist is saying, in the presence of my shepherd, I shall not want, or I do not lack, or more appropriately, I have all I need. 
What this means is with his presence, I need nothing else. The sheep are led to green pastures in the midst of barren landscape of the wilderness. The shepherd has his, led his flock to green pastures and quiet waters, a place of provision where they can eat and drink and rest. And this provision isn't just momentary, it's abundant. It's one thing to be provided for. I'm sure someone living in poverty, in poverty would really appreciate a warm meal. Or exhausted parents would really appreciate an hour break from the kids. But what about a lifetime of provision for the one living in poverty? What about unlimited rest and a restored spirit for tired parents? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In the Lord's is provision and this provision is in abundance. I think this abundance is pictured especially in verse 5 when the psalmist says, you prepare before me a table in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Speaking of God's blessing. My cup overflows. It's not just full. It overflows. His provision is abundant. The third benefit of the shepherd's presence is his protection. Now this was one of the main tasks of a shepherd is to protect their flock. And David, as a young shepherd, gives this account of his work over his sheep to King Saul. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 34, you don't really need to turn there, but David gives this account. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear. <laughs> you had to be like a guardian ninja to be a, t to be, to be a shepherd, <laughs> protecting the sheep, fending off lions and bears. But I will fear no evil. You are with me. I will not fear. You're my protector. You are with me as I walk through life's dark valleys. You are with me as I wait for my wife to recover from extensive surgery. You are with me as I walk with my daughter through her cancer treatments. As I grieve for the loss of a loved one. As I nurse a sick child. As I live in my loneliness as I wrestle with the fear of losing my job, as I wait for the time when I'm reunited with my family, as I press on in this life, I will not fear, for you are with me. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our protector. He goes with us through the valley, ensuring that we're safe, keeping us protected in the shadow of his presence, he holds up our faith even when we cannot. He helps us work through doubts, through fears, through failings, 
holding tightly onto us even when we let loose of him. The Lord is our protector, granting us victory over all the enemies that come against us. His power, his provision, his protection. These are all to be found in the presence of the Lord and all of these meet us in the midst of life's trials. Now the fourth benefit of our shepherd's presence is his pursuit. He pursues us. In verse 6 we read, Surely your goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Well, follow isn't a strong enough word here. It's too tame and mild to convey the sense of the Hebrew word. The word does mean come after, but not in the sense of following. Rather, it means pursuing or chasing as when an enemy is coming after you, pursuing you. So, for example, in the Net Bible, and I believe the New Living Translation and perhaps others, translate the word pursue, not follow. I think that's a better rendering. The point is that the goodness of God, the faithful love and mercy of God, pursues us. Pursuing us all the time, wherever we go. The goodness and mercy of God do not follow us like a little puppy dog trailing behind. Rather, the goodness and mercy of God gallop after us like a celestial stallion. In this life of ongoing cycles of chaos and trials with anxiety, illness, fears, doubts, conflict, forever attacking us, I want to know that I'm being pursued by the goodness and faithful love of God. I need to know that God is there wherever I go. Always present with me. Leading me to places of rest, safety, and abundance. Even as I walk through the valley's darkest shadows, even through the valley of the shadow of death, He is with me. Our true rest, our true safety, and our abundance are found in Him. The overwhelming promise of God in Scripture is fear not, I am with you. Brothers and sisters, press on. Be comforted, for the Lord is with us, and in His presence we find His power, His provision, His protection, and His constant pursuit of us. Comfort, encouragement, strength, and resolve are here for us in Psalm 23. A psalm that also drives us to worship our great shepherd. Now we should also recognize that comfort, the comfort we seek is not something that Christ hands us as if it's separate from himself. The comfort we seek is found in Him. Amen. We find and experience this comfort only in Christ. Now finally, there's a couple of things that we could remind ourselves of that can help us lay hold of this comfort. 
One of, way, of course, is prayer. Call on our Lord in prayer. Psalm 62, 8, verse 8 says it this way. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. Prayer is crucial. And in this verse in Psalm 62, where it says, pour out your heart before him, to me, that's a good definition of prayer. We praise him, we love him, we pour out our hearts before him. He is our refuge. But also, comfort is experienced by earnestly meditating on the person and work of Christ. Gaze upon his glory with the eyes of faith. In fact, one of the songs we sang this morning had the phrase in there, Behold his glory. Behold the glory of Christ. The great Puritan John Owen says this, It is by beholding the glory of Christ by faith that we are spiritually edified, uplifted, and built up in this world. For as we behold his glory, the life and power of faith grow stronger and stronger. It is by faith that we grow to love Christ all the more. So, he says, if we desire strong faith and powerful love which give us rest, peace, and satisfaction, we ought to diligently seek them by beholding the glory of Christ by faith. We behold His glory by the eyes of faith in this world, but we will behold His glory face to face in the next. One final word of encouragement I would draw on 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, where we read, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Can I get an amen? <laughs> now it only remains to ask this. Is Jesus Christ your shepherd? Do you know him? Do you hear his voice? Are you following him? If not, then I pray that the Holy Spirit who comes to us from the Father and the Son will open your eyes and your heart to trust in Him as Lord and Savior to the praise of His glory. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, we thank You for the comfort and peace we find in this psalm in the midst of life's trials. We thank You and praise You for Your abiding presence with us. You are our great, sovereign, loving Lord deserving of all praise and glory. And yet we ask for your blessings on us as we leave here today with you on our hearts and in our minds. Amen.